Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Roto World Football Podcast. I am your host, Raymond Summerlin, and I am joined on this episode by Nick Minzio to talk about the best starts and the most notable sits for week two of the fantasy football season. And also, Rich Rebar will hop on later to discuss some of the most interesting data points from his weekly worksheet column. Before we get to that, however, I would like to mention the best way you can help out the podcast. Whether you find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or some other service, rating and reviewing helps us in the rankings and helps others find the show. So review early and review often, and we would, uh, we would appreciate that quite a bit. All right. So with that out of the way, let's get to the action. What's up, Nick? What's going on, Ray? Good to be back. Good first week. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one as well. So before we get to the players we like this week, we'll try to do this every week since you and I spend most of our life paying attention to news. We'll talk about some of the news. There are plenty of injury situations to monitor. The Sammy Watkins situation hasn't changed much recently, so we'll just skip that and say that keep your eyes peeled to the Rotor World news page on Thursday afternoon to see if he's going to play and, uh, and kind of play it by ear from there. But the status of Demarius Thomas is certainly one of the more interesting situations. He was able to participate on a limited basis Wednesdays in Wednesday's practice, but he was reportedly grabbing at his hip and, and grimacing. So we should know more about this as the week goes on. But at this point, where we stand right now on when we record this on a Wednesday afternoon, what do you, what do you think about him? What are you doing with him this week? Yeah, it's just, it doesn't seem like he's anywhere near 100%. And I love this matchup for him, obviously, against the Colts after Matthew Stafford shredded these guys in the opener. But I just don't think Demarius is any more than like a wide receiver, wide receiver three still, even in this dream spot. I mean, he's not healthy. Uh, I think Emmanuel Sanders, though, is going to have a big game, especially if Thomas is Thomas doesn't play for sure. And you mentioned Sanders. Sanders out-targeted him eight to six week one anyway he was more involved in the offense maybe maybe that would change if if Thomas was healthy I mean they got the ball out of Simeon's hands as quick as possible week one they really didn't try to push the ball down the field and that hurt the upside of both Thomas and Sanders I didn't expect that to happen by the way after what we saw in the preseason but that definitely hurt the upside of those two guys 
but you're right. I mean, if if any team, if against any team you're going to turn short yardage completions into long gains, as we saw week one with the Lions and and what Theo Riddick did, it is going to be against the Colts. So I I do think this is a great matchup. It is it's upsetting that he's hurt because this could be a situation where some of his patented screen passes could really work out. But you're right, it's hard to trust him right now with him hurting. And if he's out, I mean Sanders Sanders is basically a, a high end wide receiver too, right? Yeah, totally, totally. And I saw a tweet from a Roto World legend, former Roto World legend, Adam Levit Adam Levitan, who tweeted Demarius Thomas has only had one 100-yard game in his past 13 games, so that's something to remember, too. Man, how the mighty have fallen. For real. So also out west, Coach Pete Carroll, coach of the Seattle Seahawks, announced on Wednesday that Thomas Rawls will start week two against the Rams over Christine Michael. Now Rawls saw a lot more work in the second half of week one, and he and Christine Michael ended up basically playing the same uh, or getting the same workload, even though Michael played a lot more snaps. Michael was more successful with the work, especially on a per carry basis. But going forward, Rawls is going to start. Is this a situation where you think that Rawls is going to be just the guy like he was last year, whenever Marshawn Lynch is out? Is this still going to be a timeshare? And and how do we value these guys moving forward? Yeah, I really just don't know. I mean, Pete Carroll has obviously preferred a, a, a lead dog dating back to the Marshawn Lynch days, but those days are over maybe. So I don't, I don't know. I think Michael is going to have a role still definitely this week. Rawls didn't put much on film last week. I still think he's working his way back, knocking the rust off. But I'd, I'd put him on the RB2 map this week and then drop Michael to the RB3 flex range. I don't even think I'd even consider starting him in any season-long leagues whatsoever. But this Rams rush defense allowed three rushing scores last week to get to uh, Carlos Hyde and Sean Drone. So I think they're definitely exploitable, and I think that defense is way overrated on paper. Yeah, I came into the season thinking that they were an overrated run defense. They did play okay against the run. I mean, they gave up the touchdowns. It was, but they didn't get dominated. But it's not like we expect the 49ers to dominate teams on the ground. We'll see about the Seahawks. The kind of mitigating factor here is Russell Wilson with his with his ankle injury, if he's not able to do much of anything, it, could this be a situation where they they ride both of these guys and both of these guys, like last week, end up with at least 10 carries and maybe even 15 carries and both can return pretty good value? Could you see that happening? Yeah, I was thinking Rawls, 15 to 18 carries, Michael, 8 to 10, but it obviously could turn into more, especially if the Seahawks get out to a big lead and blow out the Rams like the 49ers did to them. This weekend, the Rams are on a short week. I mean, I'm sure they'll be up for it in their home opener first game in L.A. since, what, like 94 or something like that. But I think Rawls is definitely on the starting map this week. And then finally, Jamal Charles was working with the scout team on Wednesday, all but confirming an earlier report that he would sit out again week two. Since Ware will clearly be a running back one again this week without Charles. That's not really in question. But what's interesting about Ware, and I have this problem in a lot of my leagues. I ended up with Ware in a ton of leagues. So what am I going to do with him moving forward? Am I going to try to sell high now? Do you sell high after he probably posts a big game in week two? And if you are trying to sell right now, what are you looking for? What do you need to get back in return to make it worth 
selling a guy who's probably going to be a running back one at least one more week and maybe more after that? I mean, it all depends on your roster construction. Every roster is different. Every league's different. But I'd be if I'm looking to sell where, which I probably would be. I just I don't I don't think he's gonna get more than ten to twelve touches weekly when Charles comes back. But I'd be looking for a a high end wide receiver too. Maybe take advantage of that hundred ninety nine total yard game this week and try and ship him out before the Sunday because I don't think he's gonna have a great game Sunday. I mean, the Texans' run defense is pretty solid on the road. And I think this might be a good spot for Travis Kelsey to explode because he had his two best games of last season against the against the Texans. So I really like Kelsey this week, and I don't think Ware is going to come anywhere close to matching what he did last week. What do you think? I can complete with that. I've been trying to sell him, and I'm not selling him in Dynasty Leagues because Char- Charles is older. They just signed Ware to an extension. I think he is the running back of the future there and obviously is talented. But – in stand, in redraft leagues, I've been trying to sell him all week, and I just started at the top. I, I took the opposite approach to Drake. I started at the top, and I'm just working my way down. And I'm trying to I'm trying to sell him to disappointing wide receiver one owner. So I started with Allen Robinson, which is pie in the sky, obviously pie in the sky stuff. Never thought that that would work, but give it a shot, see what happens. Trying with Des Bryant right now, we'll see. I'll move on to Brandon Marshall, especially if he struggles again on Thursday night. So just kind of move your way down T.Y. Hilton and see what you can get. But I think that there's a reasonable chance that, like you said, you can get a high-end wide receiver two or maybe even a low-end wide receiver one for where. And so I, and the worst that anybody can say if you send out those trades is no. So I'm, I'm taking a shot because you never know how people are going to value these running backs coming off of massive, massive weeks. 100% with you on that. So let's move on to the meat and potatoes of your weekly appearance and talk about start sits. Mike Wallace was a signing that most people kind of scoffed at after he had three kind of progressively worse worse seasons in Miami and Minnesota, but he showed up with 91 yards and a long touchdown, a beautifully delivered by Joe Flacco long touchdown in week one. And I assume his matchup with the Browns this week has you interested. Definitely, definitely. I, the Ravens are running that rotation at receiver, but Rashad Perriman missed practice today with a calf injury. Sounds like it could be something that might be lingering from his knee issues, and he might, he could miss Sunday. We don't know yet. It's obviously only Wednesday when we're taping this. But if he sits, I think Walls could see even a bigger uptick, uptick in snaps. And then Chris Moore would obviously come in as the lightly used number four receiver. But I watched that game against from the, from the Browns and Eagles last week, and just – the Eagles receivers were running right by these Browns DBs and Nelson Aguilar caught a long TD. Jordan Matthews was open a number of times behind the defense, caught a 19 yard touchdown. So I really like Wallace. It feels like it's chasing points a little bit, but just the spot is just way too good to pass up. And he saw six target, six targets last week. So I think, I think he's in a, a great spot. I really worry that that sideline catch from Perryman week one is going to be like his career highlight. It's oh, just man, that would be terrible. It's just so he can't stay off the injury report. It makes me sad. I agree with you on Wallace. There's so many mouths to feed in Baltimore. I'm in on Dennis Pitta this week, who is my top streaming option in waiver wired. But you, this is a great opportunity for all involved. Joe Flacco, great streaming opportunity. So I think that I think that this is a really good call. Another one of your calls that I absolutely love is for CJ. Uzoma, I believe, 
Is that I, what you're gonna say? I actually looked up his pronunciation today when I was when I was doing some stuff. It's Uzama. Either, either Uzama. Yeah. Either way, I love this spot for him. He was heavily involved in the offense last week against the Jets. Got five targets. All of them seemed to come pretty early in the game, but he got also got two end zone looks. He didn't catch either one, but dating back to the third preseason game, they've been looking toward him in the end zone. So I really like this spot. The Steelers gave up gave up the eighth most fantasy points to tight ends last season. Then Jordan Reed kind of ran wherever the, wherever the heck he wanted to on Monday night. So I, I like this spot for Uzama a lot. Yeah, I agree with it completely. I, I wrote a blurb after the third preseason game noting that he was the number one tight end. And not only the number one tight end, he was also used pretty heavily with the first team offense. He had three targets. One of them was an end zone target. It was it was a deeper target. It wasn't from the red zone, but it was an end zone target. And like you mentioned, he was heavily involved last week. So there's an opportunity here for him to see six, seven targets, get those red zone looks, score a touchdown, and that's that's a streamer's dream right there. He's 4,500 dirt cheap minimum on Fandle this week too. Absolutely. So let's move on to the hate, as, as is well documented, my favorite part of fantasy football. <laughs> First up is Mohamed Sanu, whose Falcon de- Falcons debut ended with 80 yards and a touchdown. So what are your concerns about him this week heading to Oakland? Yeah, I just, I watched that game and 59 yards of that 81 came on a busted coverage by the Bucks. They didn't even have anyone on him down the right sideline. They just caught the ball with no one around him, ran right up the sideline for 59 yards. So his other four catches went for what, 22 yards and a touchdown. I know he had that good, awesome catch in the back of the end zone, but I think these Raiders DBs match up pretty well with him. Sean Smith is big. David Amerson's big. So I think they'll, they'll body him pretty good. And Sanu just kind of gives me that soft vibe. He's not like real tough. I think he's kind of a soft player. I think he could be pushed around a little bit. So I'm not, I'm not buying him this week at all. The one thing that I, I would say about him is that they did use him pretty well in the red zone, which is a place they struggled that, like you mentioned, that touchdown was a great, is a really well-designed play where Julio Jones ran a drag out of a bunch set and just completely cleared it out for Sanu who caught that, that leaping grab on the two point conversion. They ran the exact same formation, except that Sanu leaked out into the flat. So it, so they were obviously targeting him in the red zone, but you're right. I mean, this is not this is not the Sanu that we should expect. This high yardage, high touchdown upside kind of guy. That's that's not the Sanu we can expect if Julio Jones is healthy, right? Totally, totally. And I think Devontae Freeman's back in play this week too. Just to throw that out there. Ooh, now that's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not totally buying this Tevin Coleman stuff. I don't know. He was he got a ton of space from the Bucks defense and I just want to see more you know I think Freeman's still just gonna I think he's still gonna have a really good role in that offense and to your point he still dominated in the red zone it wasn't even close who their red zone back is yeah. all right one more for us Theo Riddick uh, like Sanu had a big week one he went for 108 total yards and two touchdowns even against the Titans it does not sound like you expect a repeat this week. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong. Totally, totally wrong. It's the Titans we're I talking like about. I like the dismissive no. It wasn't <laughs> even a no. <laughs> On its face, dismissive. <laughs> but the Titans, I, I know they're like not, not good at all. Hashtag not good. But they allowed the fewest receptions as their running backs last season and they only allowed one catch in week one to the Vikings. I know they didn't have Jarek McKinnon. I, I believe he was inactive. So they only allowed one catch to Adrian Peterson, who's not like this guy that's going to catch a ton of balls. But 
still notable nonetheless. And last year, they only allowed 56 catches to running backs all season, two touchdowns. And I'm not really totally buying Theodoretic. Theoretic is this like amazing runner now. He's improved his running game. So I'm just kind of not buying into this huge week one he had against that horrific Colts defense. Yeah, McKinnon did play, but not really. He was okay. he was pretty he was pretty limited. But I'm a hundred percent in on on fading Riddick. I he scored three total touchdowns last year. To, yeah. I don't think that we're expecting this two touchdown explosion. I think we have to call it in Riddick's terms. I don't think we're expecting that to continue. And that was perhaps the best matchup for Theo Riddick that could possibly happen with their banged up front seven with their old and slow linebackers. Yeah. I mean, that's a about... Jackson is like a Paul Puzlesny, like even worse than him. Yeah. I like, yeah, he's a low rent Paul Puzlesny, which is, which is, you know, a terrible thing to call somebody. It's like, why do these teams keep giving to, to Qual Jackson and James Laurinaitis like second chances? These guys are like, these are 1990s linebackers, not today's game. Absolutely. And that's, by the way, moving forward, that's actionable information when we're talking about talking about the Colts, and, and we'll see what happens again this week. But I, I'm with you completely on theoretic. I'm fading him for sure. So that's excellent stuff, as always, from Nick's, Nick Minzio. Nick's column is a must-read every week. When you're listening to it, it is probably available on rotorworld.com right now. Certainly by Thursday afternoon, it will be up on rotorworld.com, so make sure you check it out. You can also find Nick on Twitter at Nick Minzio or every single Thursday on this podcast. Thanks so much for coming on, Nick. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Yep. See you in week three. And we are back with Rich Rebar. You can find him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. It was Roto Reeves for a very short (laughs) while, but uh, he kissed the queen's ring and he got his land and title back. And now he is he is back as the Lord Reeves. You can find his must-read weekly column, the worksheet, every Wednesday on rotoworld.com. You can find him every week, every Thursday on this episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Thanks for coming back on, my liege. How's it going? It's going good. You know, they stripped uh, my lands for a few days for fading Mike Evans last week, uh, you know, and giving the notion that he, he may struggle against the Atlanta secondary uh, for whatever reasons. But they, they've entitled me back. The people the people demanded that I that I still be, you know, part of the throne. So, I mean, I'm here. The Lord Reeves is back. <laughs> the Lord the Lord Reeves is back. <laughs> so, I guess... They, they, they heard they heard my Amir Abdullah take last week on this podcast, and they they wanted they wanted me back. That's now that was a call, one that I derided. So, so yeah, so one nothing, Lord Reeves. So let's get to it. Um, week one could not have gone much better for one of my favorite preseason receivers, Mister AJ Green, who, from what I can tell from the early week talk ended Darrell Rivas's career. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> Darrell Rivas retired. So if it sounds like you are expecting him to at least continue what he was doing, maybe not what he did last week, but to have another good week this week against the Steelers. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to, uh, to see, you know, uh, uh, what we thought was going to happen offseason come to fruition immediately with A.J. Green, you know, him 
kind of being, you know, used in a similar fashion to the way we saw Julio Jones last year where he just gets, you know, just peppered with targets, you know, at nauseum. And, you know, when you think about last week, you know, he definitely did not disappoint with those targets as he's seen 13 targets and he caught 12 of them. Um, you know, he saw 43% of the Bengals targets. That was the highest share of team targets for any player in the league. Uh, so it's great to see, like, all, everything that we thought, you know, come to fruition right away. Uh, and against the cornerback like Darrell Rivas, uh, who basically the island has been bulldozed for, for a wide receiver one theme park at this stage. Um, you know, and then when you look at his matchup this week, A.J. Green should definitely roll that right over. I mean, his past five meetings against the Steelers he's averaged nine catches for 130 yards uh you know he's averaged 14.4 targets in those games and 25.2 PPR points in all those games um and in those games he's never finished lower than wide receiver 22 uh you know with a wide receiver two a wide receiver three and a wide receiver six finish uh those given weeks um Kirk Cousins didn't cash in uh on the, on the checks that the Steelers secondary is trying to write on Monday night um but you know the opportunities were there for big yardage uh you know and and Deshaun Jackson still had a really good game so I look for AJ Green to roll it over this week and you know probably be in the mix for a top three wide receiver week again yeah I'm obviously 100% on this I said it I think in May I haven't backed off it yet AJ Green is this year's Julio Jones 200 targets are a very very real possibility let's move on to Ezekiel Elliott another player that I think everybody liked headed heading into the season. He did not have the debut he wanted in the NFL. He did manage to find the end zone, but he averaged just two and a half yards on his 20 carries against the Giants. Do you think he's going to bounce back this week? Yeah, you touched upon it. I mean, Zeke had a lukewarm opening game against an improved Giants front. 20 carries, 51 yards. 12 of his carries went for two yards or less. That's not something we're used to with the Cowboys line. We'd even get that between Joseph Randall and Darren McFadden last year. Uh, Still, the usage was there. uh, And this week, week things... The things this week look a lot better against the Washington team that was basically ransacked by D'Angelo Williams in the second half last week. They kept them on a short week. I mean, Washington was especially destroyed on perimeter runs. D'Angelo Williams had 15 carries or 92 yards off either tackle or end. I doubt the game plan this week is going to call for Dak Prescott to, to throw 45 more passes, and nor do I believe Dallas will be stymied again on the ground uh, against the Washington like they were against uh, the New York Giants. And I don't want people to sleep on the Giants' run defense. I mean, they yeah. they have basically 700 pounds of run-stopping <laughs> force in there with Snacks Harrison and Jonathan Hankins. So they have a lot of force in the middle. And Olivier Vernon is maybe the best run-defending defensive end in the league, at least ones that still get to the quarterback. So he is he's very good there. They have three quality mm-hmm. run-stoppers on that defensive line. It should not be surprising if if most backs struggle against the Giants this year, even this week in New Orleans, we're thinking, oh, mm-hmm. shootout, Mark Ingram's back. You might want to think about that again. So I don't think that this Ezekiel Elliott performance, while it is at least slightly concerning, I don't think it's something that I am going, it's going to stop me from playing him in what you pointed out is an absolutely great matchup against the Redskins. Yeah, absolutely. I love your point about Ingram, too. And Ingram was a guy, we had some kind of weird usage that we weren't expecting last week with Traveris Cadet getting a lot of burn. Uh, so I definitely think it's it's a week where, you know, Mark Ingram really might not get going again for those people that are looking for a bounce back. Andrew Luck announced his return <laughs> to yeah. the NFL with 385 yards and four touchdowns against the Lions week one. Unfortunately... All of that production came in a loss, but his fantasy owners will will certainly take it. He faces a much tougher test this week in Denver, playing at 
Denver is not where I want my quarterback to be. That said, Cam Newton had a pretty good fantasy day last uh, last week doing the exact same thing. So what do you see happening with Andrew Luck this week? Yeah, Denver, as we know, they've been kind of quarterback killers for fantasy for a few years uh, now, basically in terms of yards per attempt and touchdowns allowed and fantasy points allowed. And you t- to Cam's, Cam's week one was good, but it was also aided by those 11 rushing points. Uh, but I'm not overly scared of Luck despite the matchup and with it being on the road. I mean, Luck was one of just three quarterbacks to hit 20 or more points against Denver last year, along with Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger. And he's actually crushed versus them for three years uh, in a row now. He's been the QB1, the QB3, and the QB8 in his games against Denver. I do worry about the pass rush in this game versus the Colts offensive front, but it's hard to completely fade the type of volume that Andrew Luck is getting. I mean, when you look at his his past eight games going back to last year, he's averaged 42 and a half pass attempts per game over those eight starts, and volume doesn't completely lead to fantasy production, but when you're talking about a team that's literally almost as one-dimensional as the Colts uh, and that has such as good as receivers as the Colts, that's volume you really want to latch onto. And you kind of made the point there, he's been good against Denver, but you did point out the offensive line. And that was one of my big concerns Mm -hmm. from week one, that the dink and dunk approach that they kind of talked about they were going to do, rely on yards after catch with their receivers, that didn't happen. He did get the ball out a little bit quicker than he on average than he did last year when he was healthy, but it wasn't that much quicker. And so it'll be interesting to see against what should be a much better pass rush in the Broncos if they're going to move to that you know, quick hit, target your receivers underneath, allow T.Y. Hilton, allow Philip Dorsett, allow Dante Moncrief to use their athleticism to make you know, yards after the catch and make things happen. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch what he does. But you're right. I mean, if a quarterback's going to throw, a quarterback of his talent is going to throw 40 times a game, that's, that's really hard to pass up on. Yeah, this isn't, we're not talking about like Matt Ryan attempts here. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's Andrew Luck, you know, so, uh, you know, or recording. Yeah, I don't mean to just throw Matt Ryan under the bus, but, you know, uh, I would. Hey, no, I would, it's clear. <laughs> you have a personal vendetta against Matt Ryan. That's very clear to everybody. But yes, I do put Andrew Luck at a different tier than Matt Ryan. But yeah, um, you're not, you're not talking about 40 pass attempts coming from like a, you know, a Josh McCown type or something like that. You know, a team that's just in complete negative game script. I mean, this is the Colts game plan. And then finally, Julius Thomas was heavily involved in the offense early in the game last week. He kind of faded in the second half, but he still ended up with 64 yards and a touchdown. Should we trust him again this week against San Diego? Oh, yeah, and he had a, an ankle injury, surprise, surprise, uh, you know, in that game. But he's pra- he already practiced today. So, I mean, you know, if you can kind of go back to him. Thomas played 78% of the snaps still in week one, you know, after playing just 51% last year while active. Uh, and the Jaguars moved him all over the field, you know, to kind of help Blake Bortles diagnose coverages. Uh, Thomas didn't uh, move around just for the sole reason, you know, of aiding Blake Bortles. He showed that he's still an actual matchup problem when healthy. You know, he said he had the five targets. He caught all of them for 64 yards and a score, caught a touch down uh, against a cornerback, you know, trying to beat the press there. Uh, the Chargers secondary is really the only decent thing about their defense, uh, and they are particularly stingy against opposing wide receivers, which leads to opposing tight ends and running backs doing damage against them in the passing game. And you look at last year in this meeting, Thomas had the best game of the season. He caught nine balls for 116 yards and a touchdown. He was the tight end one that week. Uh, I think this is another game where, you know, Jason Verrett, they try to will try to scheme Allen Robinson away from him as much as they can, like last year. Um, and it's going to be a game where th- they try to exploit those linebackers again and safety play of the San Diego Chargers, which opens the door for Julius Thomas to have two good games to start the season. And you mentioned the touchdown. I mean, he he pulled away from the corner to make that. It was a great throw from Bortles, but 
he kind of got he got on top of the corner and he pulled away at the end, which is something that you know is nice to see. After I don't know if he was really fully healthy or fully involved in the offense last season. It certainly seems like we're going to see a different Julius Thomas this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, for owners that s- snaked him after, you know, the, the tight end, you know, 10-11 range, uh, after the tight end position now looks like kind of a quagmire. I mean, he could be a, a real gem at that price. Excellent stuff, as always, from Mr. Rich Rebar. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at, unfortunately, Lord Reeves. No more Roto. Lord Reeves. And find his work at rotoworld.com you can also find nick minzio's work at rotoworld and follow him on twitter at nick minzio while you're hitting that follow button find me on twitter at rm summerlin also remember to subscribe rate and review the podcast anywhere you find it so that's it for us this week and uh, we'll talk to you next time The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.